असतो मद्गमय तमसो मोतिर्गमय मृत्युर्मात गमय ओ शिशाशास फ्रॉम दि अनियल टू द रियल lead us from darkness unto light lead us from death to immortality om peace 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 good morning you're all aware today that or we have an interesting subject no mind few weeks ago when we announced this subject a gentleman asked me so no mind is so intrigued the no mind does it mean not thinking or you know you know being unconscious so what is this no mind i was giving a series of lectures on the mandukya karika of gaudapada um i have given two talks on this i think the first one was the essence of all vedanta based on the first chapter of the mandukya karika the second one was the ultimate truth based on the second chapter of the mandukya karika and today's talk no mind is based on a couple of verses in the third chapter of the mandukya karika the third chapter of the mandukya karika is called advaita prakaranam the chapter on non duality in the first chapter the upanishad was there the mandukya upanishad and the teachings of the mandukya upanishad are discussed in detail are described in more detail in the second third and fourth chapters so in the second chapter what was done was on the basis of logic on the basis of reason and our own experience the falsity of the world is demonstrated that the world jagat mithya world is supposed to be an appearance in non dual vedanta that is demonstrated that is proved using logic based on our own experience that's the second chapter of the mandukya karika the third chapter of the mandukya karika is the world is an appearance but an appearance of what what is it that is appearing as the world the classic example in vedanta the rope appearing as the snake all right the snake is false there's no real snake but then what is it that is appearing as the false snake it's the rope which is appearing as the false snake what is it that is appearing as this false world illusory world it is brahman existence consciousness bliss or as we saw in the first chapter of the mandukya karika the fourth aspect literally the word turiya means the fourth aspect but we saw that it does not really mean the fourth it means the one reality which appears as our waking experience this one as our dream experience and as our deep sleep experience that one consciousness turiya that is the reality which appears as this world therefore the essential teaching of vedanta brahma satyam jagat mithya brahman alone is real and the world is an appearance and what are we real or appearance we are 
none other than Brahman, Jiva Brahmheva Naparaha. This thing is talked about and demonstrated in the third chapter called Advaita Prakaranam, the chapter on non-duality. And it's demonstrated with the help of uh, reason. In the third chapter, Gaudapada tells us samsara, this problem which we have, samsara, this is duality. Duality causes samsara and, mok and moksha, freedom, non-duality is freedom. So advaita is moksha and dvaita is samsara. You might uh, say that that seems unfair. Why would dvaita be samsara, duality be samsara in what sense? But just look at our own experience. We have duality. By, by the way, when dvaita or duality, when we talk about it in Vedanta, what it means is this subject-object duality, which is the very basis of our experience of this world. I am a limited being separate from all of you. This feeling which we naturally take for granted, I am separate from all of you. You are different, I am different. This difference, this is the duality, subject-object duality. I am the experiencer and all of this is something separate from me. This subject-object duality is at the root of samsara. Take our experience. We can just look at our experience. In the waking world, is this subject-object duality there right now? Yes, we experience it. And there is samsara. There are things which we like and we are chasing it. There are things which we are scared of, afraid of, uneasy about. We try to avoid it. And thus it gives rise to strife and struggle, what we call samsara. Constant change, um, aging and decay and death and probably rebirth again. So this is what we call samsara. And this goes on. This is our waking experience. Look at our dream experience. In dreams, do we have this duality, dvaita? Yes. In dreams also, we have good dreams and bad dreams, but everywhere we also have that subject-object experience. I am experiencing some, something. Though later on when you wake up, you realize it was all in my mind. But in the dream, we don't feel that. In the dream we feel, I am the experiencer and this is something that I'm experiencing. The duality, subject-object duality is there. Dvaita is there. And so samsara is also there. What about deep sleep? When we completely fall asleep and we are not aware of the world, we do not dream dreams in our mind, we are not even aware of ourselves as sleeping, deep sleep, is there samsara? We do not experience samsara in deep sleep. I sometimes say, the person with the greatest problems in the world, suppose person is uh, sick and maybe dying and on life support in, uh, uh, in uh, Mount Sinai or something like that, terrible condition. And insurance is not willing to pay up also. So all sorts of problems, terrible problems. And yet, when that person goes to sleep, falls asleep, deep sleep, that person has no problem. Yeah. In deep sleep, even the sickest person on life support in <laughs> Mount Sinai has absolutely no problem. Uh, so samsara, the sufferings of samsara are not there in deep sleep. Notice something, in deep sleep the duality is also not experienced. Subject and object are also not experienced. Duality, dvaita is not there or at least is not experienced in deep sleep. 
And so suffering, samsara, is also not experienced in deep sleep. Gaudapada seems to have a point when he says, duality and samsara go together. And non-duality, where there is no subject and object, is freedom from samsara. But does that mean we have to fall asleep and stay asleep? <laughs> that doesn't seem to be a solution. Though it's not as silly as it sounds, because a lot of people try to take that route. What else is, you know, drinking, taking drugs, trying to forget our sorrows. It's basically to stop this experience of samsara. Is, but that is no root. That is not, uh, even Gaudapada says, actually, samsara is also there. Duality is also there in deep sleep. In what form? He says in the seed form, bijavastha. After all, deep sleep, we wake. We come out of deep sleep. And again, samsara comes back. The same body, the same physical problems, um, the same financial problems, relationship problems, all of them again come back. Which means in deep sleep, the problem was there, not experienced as such in deep sleep, but in the seed form, like a computer being switched off. When you switch it on, all the data is still there. Good and the bad, everything is still stored, it all comes back. So deep sleep is no permanent solution. Then Gaudapada, so, so what, how do we solve this problem of samsara, of duality? Even Shankaracharya in his introduction to the Mandukya Karika, he says, Rogartasya roga nivritti eva swasthata, just as for a sick person, we seem to be on the Mount Sinai example again. <laughs> Shankaracharya, 1400 years ago, he gives the same example. Just as for a sick person, curing the disease is attainment of health. Health is basically getting rid of the disease. Health is the natural state. Similarly, he says, the cessation of duality, that non-duality, which is the cessation of duality, that is liberation. Duality is bondage. Dvaita is bondage and Advaita, non-duality, is liberation. He says, the duality of what kind? When the rope appears as the snake and we realize the snake is nothing other than the rope. That means, in a sense, the snake sort of, in a way you can say, it merges back into the rope. Actually, there was no snake. There was a misperception. In the same way, when non-duality is misperceived as a dual universe, samsara is there. When we realize the non-duality here and now, samsara is not there. So Shankaracharya also agrees. Duality, samsara, non-duality, moksha, liberation. So how do we go about it? In the third chapter, 31st verse, Gaudapada Acharya, who is, by the way, Shankaracharya's teacher's teacher. You know, when you study the Mandukya Karika and you study Shankaracharya's works, you seem to see, quite naturally, a change in the tone. Gaudapada seems to be much more extreme. What you might call hardcore non-dualist. Shankaracharya's range is much broader. I asked a Swami in the, in the Himalayas, do you think that uh, there is a difference between Gaudapada and Shankara? And uh, why does Gaudapada seems to, seem to be more hardcore, hardcore non-dualist, uh, giving no quarter? 
then that um, Swami said in the typical Hindi of that place in the uh, Uttaranchal in the Himalayas, he said, Gaurapada Acharya to bhot phakkad mahatma the. Gaurapada was, see the word phakkad in, um, it has different meanings in India. In the lower regions, in the plains, it means a beggar. A, you know, like a, what you might call a hobo here. I don't know if there are any more hobos, <laughs> but... Uh, so, like a beggar. But uh, higher up in the Himalayas, a Fakkar Mahatma is a monk who is a kind of a daredevil, you know, who doesn't care for the world, is completely dependent on God, and absolutely has no care for the samsara of this world at all. So he says, Gaudapada was like that, didn't care for anything. And then I said, then what about Shankaracharya? He said, Shankaracharya to Jagat Guru Thena. Shankaracharya was a world teacher. So he had to carry everybody along. So, so his approach is a much more universal approach. We may think Shankaracharya is very non-dualistic, but actually several steps ahead of him is his, his Guru's Guru, Gaurapada Acharya. So Gaurapada points out something interesting in the third chapter of the Mandukya Karika. He says, notice one thing. Duality is linked to the functioning of the mind. Where there is mind, there is duality. Where there is no mind, there is non-duality. There's a beautiful verse. He says, Mano drishyam idam dvaitam yatkinchit sacharacharam manasohyamani bhave dvaitam naivopalabhyate A beautiful verse, which means, this world is a projection of the mind or is experienced by the mind. This world, the word he uses is this duality. This duality is projected or experienced by the mind. What does he mean by duality? Yatkinchit sacharacharam. Anything what you see in this universe, moving and unmoving, living and non-living, everything is duality. This is experienced by the mind. Then... When the mind becomes no mind, manaso hi amani bhave. So he, he has this very beautiful phrase, amani bhava. It means the no mind state of the mind. No mind state, amani bhava. Then what happens? Dvaitam naivopalabhyate. Duality is no longer cognized. The words are very carefully chosen. He does not say duality is um, not experienced anymore. Upalabhyate, uh, this is difficult to translate, it's a very loaded term in Sanskrit. Dvaitam naiva upalabhyate. But the basic idea we get from here is mind and no mind, this concept of no mind. When the mind becomes no mind, no more duality, non-duality, and no more samsara, moksha. So the problem of moksha and samsara, liberation from samsara, is actually the problem of dvaita and advaita, duality and non-duality. The problem of duality and non-duality is further reduced to the problem of mind, no mind. Amani bhava. So what is this no mind? What is this no mind? Is it, clearly we saw when the mind does not function in deep sleep, there seems to be no duality. But then Gaurapada himself points out, the seed of duality is there in deep sleep because you wake out of deep sleep and all of the things which you see in samsara are very much present there because they come back. If they didn't, 
every morning you would wake up fresh completely blank hard disk wiped out yeah. there was a cinema about this uh, hollywood uh, i didn't see it but i had read the review about it that really struck me many many years ago it is called the uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind of a person who forgets everything and then wakes up fresh <laughs> so that would uh, but that that does not happen every day we wake up with uh, with all the knowledge of the past so the seed of the of the waking samsara is there in deep sleep deep sleep is not a solution then what is a solution what about meditation samadhi the path of samadhi the yogis the patanjali yogis raja yogis what they do is they say yes this samsara has to be wiped out how does it have to be wiped out when the mind is no mind when you meditate and the all the modifications of the mind settle down the world will not be perceived they there is a very important principle to grasp here this is not what gaudapada says we we are going to cut this down but there is a very important principle to grasp here which is very practical for our lives i'll tell you something spirituality or no spirituality yoga or no yoga vedanta or no vedanta all the samsara that you and i what we experience what we are experiencing right now we are experiencing in our minds do you agree no you read too much vedanta that's why you agree so <laughs> but think about it every experience that you have from the beginning till now and whatever experience we will have from now on all our experiences are experiences in the mind without mind no experience you will say no there are things outside and we are experiencing them actually what is happening is when you look at the flowers there what is happening is light falls on those flowers and the light is reflected back to your eyes it enters your eyes and in the lens of the eyes an image is formed and see already at this stage what has entered into your eyes is light not the flower the flower entered your eyes then you would be blind <laughs> what enters our eyes are not people and uh, flowers and trees and uh, you know um, uh, cars no 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 that would be a disaster only thing that enters our eyes is light and then what happens the light it is forms an image there and then the image is from there it is trans- transferred to not not light electrical impulses in the in neurons there are electrochemical neurochemicals which are working and they generate little bursts of electricity between the synapses of the neurons and that is transmitted from the optic nerves to the certain centers in the brain so when it reaches the brain no flower not even light not even an image bursts tiny tiny bursts of electricity that's what reaches the brain and somehow from that how we don't know neuroscientists also don't know just up to that point they are beginning to understand a lot but from that point onwards it still is a mystery how is that little bit of electricity reconstituted back into the living experience of a flower where in your mind so far nobody in the world will dispute it even the most hardcore materialist reductionist will say yes this is what is happening 
We can't dispute that. Nobody says that actually a flower enters into your mind there. No. It is presented to your mind, to your consciousness as this flower. So this flower which you are seeing right now, you're seeing it in your mind. This flower is nothing but your mind, vritti, a thought in your mind. All of samsara, your most beloved person, the most annoying person you know, the best of experiences, the most miserable of experiences, all of them are in your mind. You say, no, they are outside and they are being represented in your mind. All right, that's a particular point, philosophical point of view. Representationism. Uh, that is one kind of philosophical point of view. But nobody will deny what you are experiencing, you are experiencing in the mind. So what is the great secret that we can learn from this? Again, not our main subject today, but worthwhile learning this. Therefore, the quality of our experience depends on the mind, not really on the world outside. The, the, our natural reaction, our natural way of trying to make our lives better is to trying to change the objective, things outside. A wiser person tries to change the subjective. Our whole perception of things and the way we understand and react to things inside the mind. One of the most beautiful things I've heard comes from a monk in the Himalayas who said, I'll tell you in Hindi and then translate into English. Shant man mein bhala sangsar kaun dekha hai? Whoever has seen samsara in a peaceful mind. What is the great thing about this? Normally we think just the opposite. My mind is restless because samsara makes me restless. This monk says, you have samsara because your mind is restless. If your mind were peaceful, in the same situation, a person with peaceful mind will experience at least less suffering. Not that everything will go away, but suffering will definitely be less. <coughs> Good deal of our suffering is our own contribution, contribution of our own minds. Again, I'm going a little off track, but it's worth mentioning here. A few years back, I attended a medical conference, not as a doctor, but I was invited to speak. The conference was on pain, pain and management of pain. And one of the sessions was uh, talk therapies, so counseling for pain management. And there were different people giving talks, counselors, doctors, patients suffering from chronic pain, so on. One of the doctors said something very interesting. He said, I'll let you into a dirty secret of the pharmaceutical industry. The painkillers, he said, some multi-billion dollar worldwide industry painkillers. He says, the effectiveness is less than 50%. Less than half of the drugs have any effect at all. Some of it might be placebo effect. And less than half of it has any, and there are a lot of side effects. That is there. Side effects are <laughs> guaranteed. And then he drew three circles, pain. Big circle, this is for chronic pain, continuously people who have different kinds of back pain, things like that. So big circle, inner circle, and the smaller circle inside. He said, the smaller circle is the actual physical pain felt. And the bigger circle is the, um, the circle around it, is the expectation of pain. Oh, it's going to hurt again, it's going to hurt again. 
is going to be uneasy. The mental uneasiness and misery coming out of the pain, that is the bigger circle. That accounts for more of the total suffering than the actual physical pain. And the much bigger circle again around it are all the associated social problems that I, I cannot go such and such place because I will have this pain, things like that. Many other things which are felt to be disabilities. So a good deal, he says, about 70 to 80 percent of our discomfort and suffering is contributed by our own minds. Only 20 to 30 percent is the actual physical pain. And the medicines, if they could work, they could only reduce that actual physical pain. They will not address the thinking of our minds. And even there also medicines don't work half the time. So anyway, back to the, the thing that our minds, samsara, a good deal of samsara is in the mind. If the mind can be made into no mind, the yogi's solution is chitta vritti nirodhaha. Calm down the mind. When the mind is absolutely still, no samsara. So they call it samadhi. And they have eight steps. In Patanjali Yoga Sutra, you will see yama and niyama, the moral disciplines. Then how to sit steady. If you want to make the mind steady, the body must be steady. People are so restless. I met this young student a couple of years back, brilliant, going to one of the Ivy League universities and his parents introduced him. Very nice young man. But what I saw, he couldn't sit still. Even while standing and talking to me, he was jumping around. <laughs> Steady. The mind has been compared to, you have a bowl with water in it. If you shake the bowl ever so little, the water will splash out. So imagine how steady you have to keep the bowl. Our bodies are always trembling and moving. One uh, Olympic, the rifle shooting, he had written an article. He said, we are, we are not generally aware of how much our bodies are, movement, are moving. It's only when you have to keep your body very, very still for the target shooting. Because a little trembling of the hand also can throw the, the bullet off several feet at the end of the, uh, at the uh, target. So, they have to be very still. And it's interesting to note that at the moment of releasing the bullet, they have to hold their breath. So pranayama. <laughs> yes, literally, they have to control the breathing. Now, asana, first how to sit steady, then pranayama, how to control the breath. Why breath? Because it steadies the body and the mind. The body, the breath is the link between, it's a subtle link between body and uh, mind. The breath. So control of the breath. Then pratyahara, withdrawing the senses from the world outside, from the engagement in the world outside. Then dharana, dhyana, samadhi. Deeper and deeper focus. First there is savikalpa samadhi or in yoga system, uh, sampragyata samadhi. And then finally nirvikalpa samadhi or, or asampragyata samadhi. When the mind is absolutely still. What do you get out of it? When the mind is absolutely still, they say, you see the witness, the real self beyond the mind becomes clear. So that's the yogi's approach. Shut down the mind. That's the yogi's approach. Gaudapada does not agree. No mind is not, not thinking. No mind is not shutting down the mind. No mind is not being inactive. What is no mind then? Amani bhava, no mind, basically means managing the mind, spiritualizing the mind. 
This is the central question of spiritual life. Whether you are a devotee, whether you are on the path of knowledge, whether you are a Buddhist, whether you are a meditator, whatever it is, ultimately whatever the philosophy, it comes down, the practical thing comes down to handling the mind. Therefore you will see this question, what we are talking about today, no mind, this question was actually asked to Sri Ramakrishna by Master Mahasaya. M. We don't think about it that way because the gospel of Ramakrishna is written in such a simple language. But the tremendous depth in that. I'll tell you what, what M asked. The very first question that M asked in, the, in his second visit. The first visit there was no chance of deep discussion. The first real discussion that M had with Sri Ramakrishna. And the very first question he asked which shows the caliber of the mind. Our questions show a caliber of our own minds. I heard about a university where the examinations are, not that the questions are asked and you have to answer the questions. Rather, you are asked to formulate the best possible question you can. And you are graded on the toughest questions that you can formulate. And the students say it's actually much harder to formulate a difficult problem than to solve a problem. So M, he asked the question, he asks two questions. And I think they are the fundamental questions of spiritual life. The first question is what we are dealing with today, no mind. You know what he asks Sri Ramakrishna? He says in Bengali, Ishare mon ki kore hai. How can I fix my mind on God? Why is that? Simple question. But why is that question so deep? Because if he asks, how can I attain liberation? How can I find God? Sri Ramakrishna is going to tell him, think about God all the time. Now that's easier said than done. The real question is, how do I think about God all the time? How do I fix my mind on God? He'll say, love God. Sri Ramakrishna uh, often was said, Vakulata if you have intense desire for God, if intense longing for God, you will realize God, you will become enlightened. But then the question really is, how do I get intense longing for God? That's the question. So M is so intelligent, sensitive, he asks that question first. Not how I will realize God. How can I fix my mind on God? He asked that question. That's the first question. Sri Ramakrishna's answer, three sentences. He covers the, the entire range of spiritual practice. Simple sentences. He says, Sing the glories of God. Take the names of God. Ishwara Nam Gungan Kurve. Bhakti Yoga. The path of bhakti. In one sentence. Then he says, Dhan korbe mone bone kone. Meditate. Meditate how? Where? Meditate in your mind. Meditate in a corner. Meditate in the forest. Why? Which he means in a secluded location. You can't get a far. You can get Central Park here, of course. But not very good for meditation. I tried it. It's actually easier to meditate in this hall here than in Central Park. There's something about the tanmatra, the, the underlying vibration there. Though it's very beautiful. So meditate in the forest, meditate in or a secluded place or ashram, wherever in the mountains, and meditate in the mind, uh, meditate in a corner of your house, wherever you are. Basically, Raja Yoga, the path of meditation. He indicated it. And the third one is what interests us, us what would make Gaurapada perk, perk up his ears. He says, always do Viveka. 
the philosophical spiritual discrimination viveka we'll talk about this later on always do viveka between the eternal and the non-eternal and what you find to be non-eternal temporary and transient have vairagya for it uh, dispassion for it follow the eternal give up the non-eternal so three sentences bhakti yoga raja yoga jnana yoga you see the essence just the he has indicated and in such simple language in most ordinary bengali you think that uh, it's oh i i knew that <laughs> it is nothing nothing very great about it but he has given you you just hold on to that you will realize god that's just enough exactly what m asked that is the answer he has given what is no mind the yogi says no mind is samadhi shutting down the mind what does gaudapada say the next verse the verse i just quoted was 3.31 third chapter 31st verse now third chapter 32nd verse next verse tells us what is gaudapada's advice about no mind atma satyanubodhena na sankalpayate yada amanastam tadayati grahyabhavetadagraham what does it mean when you realize yourself the atman as existence consciousness bliss as brahman then the mind there will be no more desiring reaching out grasping in the mind anymore when the mind finds nothing out there to grasp then it becomes a non grasping mind agraham that is no mind then the mind becomes no mind what does it mean let me repeat a story but it's very relevant here i have already told you the story the princess of kashi many of you have heard it but it's very relevant here the story goes that there was a prince um there, there was a kingdom in ancient india where in the court a play was staged uh, and in the play one of the roles was the roles of the uh, the role of a little girl who was the princess of kashi kashi you know banaras that was a big city in ancient india now they couldn't find a little girl to play the role so the queen said the prince is uh, can be dressed up the prince was a, a little boy at that time 5 years old so he can be dressed up as a girl as a princess and he can be the princess of kashi so they dressed up the prince as a princess and the play was staged and the boy looked so cute the mother said the queen said make a painting <laughs> today it would be so easy you know just click but selfie or something but make a painting and the court painter made it made a painting a portrait of the boy dressed in as the princess of kashi and that um, he titled it named it the princess of kashi dated it and so and so forth 15 years passed the prince was quite grown up 20 years old now doing all kinds of princely things and then one day he was exploring the palace and he goes into one of the old storage rooms underground and he discovers he looks around the old stuff and he discovers this old painting wipes the dust of it and sees the princess of kashi and says oh she's about my age look at the date so she must be as old as me and he falls in love with her and he says this is the princess i want to marry 
unless I marry this princess, I will never be happy in life again. A royal wedding recently. <laughs> but he's shy, he can't tell his mother or his father, the king or the queen. Uh, and they notice something is wrong with their son because he is moping and uh, he doesn't seem to be interested in anything anymore. Finally, a wise minister goes and asks him, what ails you, prince? You can confide in me. And the prince says, well, what can I tell you? I am in love. Very good. Who is she? Oh, she's the princess of Kashi. Good, a princess. Perfect. Um, That's very good. Where did you meet her? I haven't met her. I've seen her picture. A picture. Very good. Where is the picture? Well, it's down there. It's, um, uh, I'll, I'll show you. It's an old picture. It was taken, it was painted when she was five years old. A date says many years ago, 15 years ago. Um, then the minister says, wait a minute, old picture and the princess of Kashi, can you take me to that picture? And the prince takes him down into that cellar and shows him the painting and the minister sees that and tells the prince, prince, you need to sit down for this. <laughs> that is not the princess of Kashi. So whoever she is, I'll marry her. No, prince, uh, many years ago there was this um, drama staged, a play was staged in the uh, court and we needed to have a, a person who would play the princess of Kashi and the, we found you to be the perfect one to play the princess of Kashi so you are that, that thou art Tattvamasi <laughs> and the prince sits, sits down and, now what happens to the desire in the prince's mind it is called in Sanskrit Sankalpa I want this. What happens to the desire? It disappears immediately. Why did it disappear? Because he could not fulfill it? Because the princess of Kashi... Um, it does not exist apart from him. He alone is the princess of Kashi and always has been. This idea of duality, something apart from him which is nice and which he wants, this led to the sankalpa in the mind. And that sankalpa, that desire, I want this. It could be the other way around also, something bad, I want to avoid this. I want to get this, I want to avoid this. Raga dvesha. This is at the root of samsara. His sankalpa disappeared immediately. Why did it disappear? Because duality, dvaita disappeared. There is no second thing, no person called princess of Kashi apart from me. This is what the prince realized. Dvaita, duality disappeared. The moment duality disappeared, sankalpa in the mind also disappeared. That there is something out there which I have to achieve or get. No, it is me. And when the sankalpa has gone, raga, dvesha, attraction, repulsion has gone, it is me alone. What is there in me to be gotten rid of or what is there in me to be achieved? It's always there with me. I am myself. So when the duality goes, merges back into the non-dual self, the sankalpa. It's a very beautiful story actually. It applies so directly to this. He says, when the reality is understood, atma satyanubodhena, na sankalpayate yada, when one realizes the truth about oneself, that the princess of Kashi is none other than me, then the mind does not do a sankalpa, that I want this. Why? Grahya bhave. Because there is no separate reality to grasp. 
tadagraham, the mind becomes non-grasping. This non-grasping, ever-free mind, he says, amanastam tadayati, this is no mind. This is no mind and this is freedom. Look, the difference here is, the prince still has his eyes open. The yogi would have said, don't look at the princess of Kashi. Keep your eyes closed. If you don't think about it, it will be alright. The non-dualist, Advaitin says, keep your eyes open. Experience the world as it is. But rooted in the knowledge of the self that I am the non-dual self. This entire world shining forth. This world is your princess of Kashi. This world, yes. This is your princess of Kashi. The good and the bad, all of it is you. Not the slightest difference between you. you by, by you I mean the real you. That's why Gaudapada first said, Atma Satyanubhavatena. Once you realize the truth about yourself. After that. Not as a body and mind. Then everybody else is a body. If you are a body, everybody else is a body also. If you are a person, everybody else is a person also. If you are pure consciousness, then the entire world, you see, appears in you, the pure consciousness. Samsara disappears. You see, this is the important thing. Difference between the yogic approach and the Vedantic approach. The yogic approach seeks to free you by erasing samsara. Shutting down samsara. It's like you're watching a movie, a horrifying movie. You've forgotten it's a movie, you're scared. What's the way to come out of being scared? The yogi will tell you, switch up the movie. The Vedantin is telling you, see that it's a movie. Then the most horrifying movie also you'll enjoy it. You'll give Oscar award to it. The more horrifying, the more Oscar awards you'll give to it. Atma Satyanubodhena. Samsara goes away. One Swami said, very interestingly, that Advaita Bhalabs Vyavahar mitane ke liye nahi. Non-duality, Advaita, is not meant for, for wiping out your activities in this world or for destroying your life in this world. Oh no. Then what is an Advaita, what does it do? In Hindi he said, Advaita aapko, aapko vyavahar mein nirbad bana deta hai. Makes you absolutely limitless and freeless, uh, and, and, and limitless and free. Limitless and free in your life. Right now we are limited. I am different from you. This is a limit. I, uh, my life is limited. I was born in such and such time. I'm going to die after some time. My capacities are limited. I'm a tiny being in the vastness of time and space. What Advaita does is, it shows you the entire vastness of time and space is nothing other than you. You are the infinite consciousness in which the entire universe appears. How does it do that? How does it do that? How can you see God with eyes open? Kabir, he says, Khule nain dekhu sahab ko. I shall see my Lord, my beloved Lord with open eyes. Not just in meditation, with open eyes. Sri Ramakrishna says, Chok bandukurli tini achin, chok khulli tini nahi. 
you can, you can see God only with closed eyes. You cannot see God with open eyes. What kind of God it is? That if just closing the eyelids, then only God is there. If you open your eyelids, God goes away. It's a very weak kind of God. <laughs> Can't you see God with open eyes? This seeing God with open eyes, which Sri Ramakrishna talks about. This seeing, Sahab ko dekhu khule nayan. With open eyes, do I, I behold my beloved. That is Kabir. Just by the way, next week, on Friday... At 7.30, 7.30 to 8.30, we have a wonderful event. Prahlad Singh Tipania, if you look, up, look him up on YouTube, he's a new sensation, I think, in India, uh, who uh, sings Kabir Bhajans, a very natural, very spiritual man with his team. He's going to come here for one hour. He's going to perform, and there's going to be a professor from, uh, she's from the Harvard Divinity School. She's going to um, help us with the translations and uh, guide us through it. So, very wonderful event. Same Kabir. So, how do we do that? The answer is, Gaudapada says, Viveka. What is Viveka? Look at the answer given by the yogi. The yogi says Samadhi. The Advaitin, non-dualist says Viveka. This, this spiritual discrimination, Sri Ramakrishna said, always discriminate, separate the eternal and the non-eternal. How do you do that? Gaudapada says, you know, even the name Vivekananda, that comes from that, Viveka. Viveka is the peculiar method of non-dualism. There is a beautiful verse to Vivekananda, which goes this way. Anitya drishyeshu vivichya nityam tasmin samadhatta ihasma leelaya Viveka vairagya vishuddha chittam yoso viveki tamaham namami. I salute that viveki, the one who has viveka. You see, the word viveka is common in Indian languages, in Bengali or Hindi. There it means conscience. That which inside, the voice inside which tells us what is right and wrong. But there is a deeper philosophical, spiritual meaning to viveka which you find in Vedanta. It is related. Conscience basically helps you to separate right from wrong. This separation, this philosophical separation in your understanding, in your grasping, that is done in Vedanta. What is Viveka in Vedanta? In that uh, verse to Vivekananda it is said, Anitya Drishyeshu, in this, in this spectacle of ever-changing, temporary, temporary, transient world in life, Anitya. All transient. Drishya means experienced objects, this, this experienced life. In the midst of this, while experiencing this, he was able to discern the eternal. Here itself, anitya drishyeshu vivichya nityam. He was able to separate viveka. Separate how? Not physically, not with pincers or forceps. In your understanding, he was able to note, recognize, in this very experience, in our experience of life, the eternal consciousness, existence, consciousness, bliss. How? You will ask. We want to know how to do that. I'm coming to that. Don't worry. Wait for just a minute. Let me finish the translation of that verse. And having separated in his understanding, what did he do? Tasmin samadhatta. He, his mind became absolutely absorbed in that. Samadhista became absorbed in the, the non-dual reality. With great difficulty? With tremendous effort? No. Like, like play, like child's play. 
Why is it so difficult for us and why is why was it like child's play for Vivekananda? The next line says, Viveka Vairagya Vishuddha Chittam. The mind which is purified, prepared by Viveka, this philosophical insight, and Vairagya, dispassion. Go back to what Sri Ramakrishna said. Continuously discriminate between the eternal and the non-eternal and have Vairagya for the non-eternal. So that is where the shoe pinches for, for most of us. Even the understanding is not so difficult. But then letting go is a little difficult. Mentally again, letting go. So how do we do that? Where the name Vivekananda comes from. How do we practice this Vairagya? How do we have, see the eternal in this non-eternal? Gaudapada says, and that is the teaching of the Mandukya Upanishad. Look at our lives. Our day has these three experiences. The waking experience, the dream experience, and the deep sleep experience. What are we? Who am I? What am I? Am I this person who's sitting here or talking here? Am I the person who, when I fall asleep, maybe I'm walking in somewhere in, in uh, Mumbai or in Delhi, in a dream? Am I that person? Or is it the blankness of deep sleep, knowing nothing, knowing neither myself nor the world? Am I that person? That experience? Gaurapada says, the Mandukya says, you are the one consciousness in which the waker and the waker's world appears, in which the dreamer and the dreamer's world appears, in which the deep sleeper and the deep sleeper's world, I won't say appears, does not appear, blank. You are one consciousness. You are not the waker. The, the good way of understanding this is our dream example. In our dreams, we, our mind, when we fall asleep, it constructs a world. And in your dream, you are there also, right? You are also there in your own dream. You don't think it's a dream. You think you are there and you are experiencing something. It's like waking. It's only when you wake up from the dream, that moment of waking up, what is your discernment? What is your understanding? What is your viveka? Oh, it was a dream. All of it, all the people I saw, all the places I went to, all the time that passed, all the events that happened, and most interestingly, even I myself in that dream, that body, that person in the dream, all of it was dreamt up by my mind. And I wake up saying, oh, it was just a dream. But note, all of it was your mind. You alone became the subject and the object. You alone became the good and the bad. You alone became pleasant and unpleasant experiences. You alone became time and space in your dream. Exactly like that in the waking also, not the mind. It is consciousness alone which appears as the waking experience. Are you the subject right now? what you think yourself to be, and your world, this world, both of them are appearances in one consciousness which you really are. That one consciousness is apart from the waker, dreamer and deep sleeper. So the fourth, it's called the fourth Turiyam. First waker, second dreamer, third deep sleeper, fourth is the Turiyam. Is apart from it, but also underlying it, the ground of these three. Just like you, the waker, when you dream, you are apart from the dream person or the dream world, but you are the ground of that. Because of you, the dream and a dreamer and the, the dream person and the dream world appears in the same way. 
you are the one consciousness apart from the waker dreamer and deep sleeper and yet in and through the waker dreamer and deep sleeper this is called atma anatma viveka remember what are we doing now viveka discrimination atma anatma viveka self non self the discrimin not nonsense non self <laughs> the discrimination between self and non self atma anatma viveka note note some three things about it one is the the one consciousness is is neither born nor dies it's the person in the dream or in the waking who is born and dies the body is born and the body dies people are born and die things are created and destroyed things in the dream or in the waking world are non eternal temporary they're subject to birth and death that consciousness is not subject to birth and death atma is nityam eternal anatma not self anityam this viveka nitya anitya viveka another thing note even in this world right now everything is changing but the consciousness to which appears this changing world that consciousness is not changing body is changing body they traditionally they say six fold changes jayate asti vardhate viparinamate apakshiyate nashyati it is born comes into existence grows and develops becomes mature then begins to begins to deteriorate in old age and finally dies six fold changes and all of them are noted by the same unchanging consciousness consciousness the atma the self non changing everything else in the world whether it's waking world or dream world changing deep sleep world in the deep sleep no change is noted but the deep sleep state itself changes into the waking and dreaming so atma nirvikara nirvikara means un- unchanging anatma savikara it changes whether it's the waking world dream world or deep sleep note one more thing another point this is the deeper point the turiyam the pure consciousness and the waker dreamer deep sleeper are they different they are actually not different you the person in your dream and you the person who is dreaming are the two of you different no you the dreamer when you are sleeping in your bed and dreaming you yourself have become the person in your dream right that person in the dream is not different from you you exist without that person in the dream because you were there before the dream started you are there when the dream is there because you are dreaming it and you will be there when the dream ends when you wake up but that person in the dream cannot exist without you as long as you dream you the person in the dream you will be there when you do not dream that person is not there anymore so what is the point here atma satyam anatma mithya very important point you the pure consciousness the witness consciousness you are the reality and the waker dreamer deep sleeper are the appearances just as the person in your dream is your appearance in the dream like a, a role an actor plays on stage so 
all of this, the waker, dreamer, and deep sleeper, and the waker's world, dreamer's world, and the deep sleep darkness, they are all appearances of you, the one consciousness. That one consciousness, the Atma, Satyam, it is the truth, it is the reality. The rest, the other three are appearances. Shankaracharya, in his invocatory verses on the com commentary to Mandukya Upanishad, he says, Maya Sankhya Turiyam, a very evocative phrase. The real Atman, Satchidananda, you, you are called the fourth only when you count through Maya. When you count one, two, three, these three steps you count are false. They are not really re there. Only with respect to waker, dreamer, deep sleeper are you the fourth. But really speaking, you are the one. Those three are your appearances. Atma Satyam, Anatma Mithya. The self is real. The non-self is an appearance. Put it all together. Atma Anatma Viveka, number one. Atma uh, is um, Nityam eternal and the Anatma is non-eternal. Number two. Number three is Atma is unchanging, Anatma ever-changing. Number four is that Atma is Satyam, Anatma Mithya. Put them all together, what you will get is this. If the Anatma is Mithya, can you really count it? It's like an example I gave. If, you, uh, if I eat a cookie and then I like it and at night in dream, I dream about eating three more cookies. In the morning, will I say I've eaten four cookies? I can't say that. I cannot count the dream cookies. Um, it works uh, the other way also. You earn a lot of money, you get a lot of money in, in your dream and win the lottery and you're counting the dollar bills. That counting is of no good when you wake up. You can't deposit, take that money to the bank. No. But you don't have to pay taxes on it also. That's also there. <laughs> so, <laughs> you cannot count the false along with the real. You cannot count the appearance along with the reality. The two cannot be counted together. I, I give the example of the ornaments made of gold. So a necklace or a, or a bangle or a ring made of gold and gold itself. So if there are three ornaments will, and then somebody mentions gold, so are, does it become four? No. Gold is the one reality and the three are appearances of that one reality. You cannot count the three ornaments along with gold because gold is the reality of those three ornaments. If you cannot count waker, dreamer and deep sleeper and their universes along with the Turiyam, then Turiyam becomes one without a second. Ekam eva dvitiyam. One without a second. Without a second, if you put it in Sanskrit, it means advaita. Without a second, if you put it in Sanskrit, it means advaita. So you are advaita. When you realize this, amanastam tadayati, the mind becomes without sankal, it becomes no mind. It still works. You can see the world. You can experience the world. You can use the mind. You can do everything. But like the princess of Kashi, you know it's not a separate reality out there which I have to chase or I have to be afraid of. You become fearless. You attain to fearlessness. Fearlessness is in fact the sign of enlightenment. 
When Janaka attained enlightenment, his guru told him, Abhayam vai prapto si Janaka. You have re- he didn't say you have become enlightened. He said you have become fearless. You become fearless. So, this is the meaning of no mind. This no mind does not force you to sit in meditation. You can sit in meditation. In fact, if you concentrate deeply upon this turiyam, the self, the mind will go into samadhi. So samadhi is not excluded from Gaudapada's definition of no mind. It is there. But it's not, it's not a kind, kind of uh, God or reality which you have only with closed eyes. You can as well experience it with open eyes. The prince does not have to close his eyes. The prince can open his eyes and see the portrait of the princess of Kashi and it looks different, it is called something different and yet he knows it is I. Aham Brahmasmi, I am all of this indeed. Even with open eyes, even talking, walking, doing one's job in life, living a perfectly ordinary life. It won't be an ordinary life really, internally it will be an extraordinary life. But that is possible. God is available not only in Samadhi. One Swami in the Himalayas humorously he said, if the yogi thinks God is available only in Nirvikalpa Samadhi, when you sit in meditation, world is shut out, I forget my body, I forget the world, then God will somehow pop into existence. So that, that Swami, he put it in Hindi, I'll translate for you, he said, Lo, apne pyare ko samadhi ke jail khane mein band kar diya. Look, now you have put your beloved, your beloved Lord, you have, you have put your beloved Lord in, into the jail, into the prison of samadhi, and locked it and thrown away the key. Because God is available only in samadhi. If I cannot reach a Samadhi, I cannot reach God. In mystic trance, in mystic absorption, certainly God is available there, but also here, also now. Just today we were reading um, Sri Ramakrishna. Somebody asked Sri Ramakrishna, why can't I see God? What prevents me from seeing God? And Sri Ramakrishna, in simple, we were sitting on the uh, cot. He took his towel in Bengali gamcha and put it on his face. He says, now you cannot see my face? Yes, because of the towel. And remove the towel, you can see my face now? Yes. Just like that, because of our ignorance, we cannot see God. God is, he says the next, God is everywhere here and right now. It is because of my ignorance that I cannot see God. This ignorance is removed by Viveka. Then with eyes open or with eyes closed, the same reality. It's always there. This teaching, Gaudapada gives it a beautiful name, Asparsha Yoga, the yoga of no contact. The yoga of no contact, Asparsha Yoga. So, Ami Ranganathanandaji, the 13th president of our order, he was fond of this term. He used to call it Advaita Vedanta's Asparsha Yoga. It's also a yoga, a spiritual path. But what kind of spiritual path? A unique spiritual path, which is called the path of no contact. Why the path of no contact? Because you see, Brahman and the world are not enemies. The real and the false are not enemies. You might think, think that reality and falsity are enemies. No. What is an enemy of falsity is the knowledge of reality. You see, the false snake and the real rope are not enemies. They are not contradictory. It is because of the real rope that we can mistake it and see it as a snake. The desert is not an enemy of the mirage water. 
It is because the desert exists that we have the illusion of a mirage water. What, what contradicts the, mirage, the water in the mirage or what contradicts the false snake? Our knowledge that it is a rope, our knowledge that it's a mirage, it's not really water, that contradicts. So knowledge of reality is the enemy of falsity. But reality as such is not the enemy of falsity. In fact, reality is very kind. It tells falsity, you, you come and settle down here. I have no problem. Make your house here. After all, if it is true that Vedanta is at all true, then we are Brahman. When? Now. So after realization? After realization, certainly. But before realization, you are not Brahman. You are Brahman right now. What is this world? It is Brahman. It is the absolute right now. But there is nowhere. We, don't, we have no idea about the absolute. Brahman, the absolute right now, is the ground of the appearance of this world. This world appearance has no enmity with Brahman. It is because of Brahman that this world is appearing. It is because of Brahman that we have samsara. The knowledge of Brahman is the enemy of samsara. Brahma jnana is the enemy of samsara. Not Brahman itself. Brahman itself has no enmity with samsara. Why? Because there is no real contact between Brahman and samsara. Samsara cannot disturb Brahman. Samsara cannot harm Brahman. The rope, the false snake cannot harm the rope. Does the rope become poisonous because of the false snake? No. Shankaracharya says, the water in the mirage, in Sanskrit, marumarichika, the water in the mirage, all the water in the mirage cannot, is not sufficient to wet even a single grain of sand in the desert. Right? Because it's not really there. So, the appearance, the false world, cannot absolutely cannot do any harm to you, the, the real you. Because there is no point of contact between reality and falsity. Because reality is all that exists. If two things exist, then there is a question of contact. If two things exist, but two things do not exist, it only seems to be two because when you talk about, when you try to enlighten a person, when you give a teaching, the person knows the world. Then you have to introduce something called God. And then finally show that it is God alone which is appearing as you and the world. But first it seems there are two things now, world and God. Person knows I am body and mind. Then you have to introduce something called Atma, self. Then the person thinks, okay, this is not the self, there is something called the self. But after enlightenment, that self alone appears as body and mind. Don't you alone appear as the dreamer's body and the dream person in the, in the dream? All of that is you alone. So, there is, it is actually one reality. And the feeling of two, it is a in, in between interim stage. The example which I gave about the pot and the clay, the clay and the pot. First, there is a pot. And then um, we are told, that the, the constituent of this pot is clay. There is a cause, a material cause of this pot, and that is called clay. At this point, you'll start thinking there are two things. There is a pot and there is clay. Then you examine the pot and you find top to bottom, inside, outside, it's all clay. In fact, you are hard-pressed to find anything called pot. Because every real thing there is clay. Every bit of it is clay. There is no such separate thing as pot. And finally you realize it is clay and clay alone. Pot is a name, it's a form, it's a particular use, 
ನಾಮರೂಪವ್ಯವಹಾರ ದ ರಿಯಲ್ ಪ್ರಾಬ್ಲಮ್ ಕಮ್ಸ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಸ್ಟಾಪ್ ಹ್ಯಾಫ್ ವೇ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಟೋಲ್ಡ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಪಾಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೇರ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ರಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಕ್ಲೇ ದೆನ್ ಯು ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ ಥಿಂಕಿಂಗ್ ಓಕೆ ದೇರ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಪಾಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಕ್ಲೇ ದೆನ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಇನ್ ಟ್ರಬಲ್ ಆಲನ್ ವಾಟ್ಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ the clay pot theory becomes the crack pot theory <laughs> why if you stop at this point what happens is then you are all the time searching for some god somewhere which is the cause of this universe or when you look inside and like the hindu dualists the nayikas do body mind and some self some atma is there separately you keep searching so clay pot theory becomes crack pot theory then that is the problem if you stop at this point that is why the yogis say you have to blank out the world to realize the self because they think there are two things you have to shut your eyes to the do you really have to shut your eyes to this lectern to see the wood here if i say see the podium say yes swami if i say see the wood here you say yes swami it's pretty easy do you have to shut your eyes to see the wood no to see the waves in the ocean go to the beach yes with open eyes to see the water do you have to shut your eyes no with open eyes you can see the water it's a change in paradigm it's a change in your understanding the shift is internal the yogi because he thinks water and wave are separate things gold and ornaments are separate things you have to shut your eyes then you can see the reality so i'll end with a beautiful verse asparsha yoga that now you understand why it is called no contact because there is one reality does the clay ever come in contact with the pot now you'll understand <laughs> ah the clay never comes in contact with anything called pot the pot is a construct which we think of the clay clay in that form we call it a pot there is no thing called pot with which the clay will come in contact so the clay is asparsha it has no contact with the pot brahman atman pure consciousness is asparsha it has no contact with this appearance of the world so gaurapada has this beautiful verse a slightly mischievous verse at the end where he pokes fun at the yogis he says asparsha yoga vai nama durdarsham sarva yogi bhi yogi no bibhyati yasmat abhaye bhaya darshina this teaching is called asparsha yoga the the mes- the path of no contact and it is very difficult for yogis to understand this it's very difficult for yogis to understand this why the yogis are afraid of this path are scared of this path because they see fear in the fearless abhaye bhayadarshina they are the ones who see fear in the fearless open your eyes see the picture of the princess of kashi no 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 you will be attracted to that don't open your eyes keep keep your eyes closed no <laughs> so abhaye bhayadarshina they see fear in the fearless once you realize this as brahman you are the fearless this world itself is the fearless there is no fear here sri ramakrishna says people call it is two words dhokartati this world is a place of deceit and fraud but i see it as mojar kuti a mansion of mirth what is the mansion of mirth mirth this world itself after realization after enlightenment this world itself is brahman the mansion of mirth 
abhaye bhayadarshinah so let us put it all together no mind this teaching of no mind we noticed that because of the movement of the mind because of the mind we tend to think that there is a world of duality world of duality leads to bondage non duality leads to freedom so no mind is the key amani bhava how do you achieve no mind the yogi says by samadhi nirvikalpa samadhi shut out the world don't get involved in the world stay in samadhi and finally give it up vivekananda said he who runs away to meditate and die in a himalayan cave has missed the way don't look at the picture of the princess of kashi so that is one one approach to no mind another approach to no mind is given by gaudapada acharya he says atma satya anubodhena by viveka atman atma viveka by the viveka of self and not self by the viveka by seeing that the self is eternal and not self non eternal by seeing that the self is unchanging and the not self changing by seeing finally the self is real and the not self is an appearance by this viveka you will realize the self alone is non dual advaitam when you come to the non duality of the self in this way you have achieved amani bhava and that amani bhava is permanent it's not dependent on any kind of practice anymore you see it as very natural Very good. Let me do a peace chant and then I'll come back for Q and A. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu.